2024 is coming in hot, and last week I wasn't with you because I was on the ground reporting live outside of the Fulton County Jail in Georgia, where former President Donald Trump was turning himself in to face charges in his fourth indictment. Yes, number four. Now, his mugshot, which came out a short time after, took the world by storm, and I noticed a major shift in energy. This photo, which was initially meant to demoralize, humiliate, and discourage the former president and his base, seems to have had the complete opposite effect. Not only does the right wing seem more re-energized ahead of 2024, but everyday Americans are also paying attention again. And in today's episode, with this newfound energy and understanding of the fight that we're being faced with, we're going to assess again the state of the American education system, our legal system, what the alleged reemergence of COVID really means, the continued attack on our country via the open border, and how this constant physical and psychological attack on our country and its people should only continue to energize us for the greatest fight ahead the election in 2024. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Fire. My name is Savannah Hernandez. And for those of you who are watching me via video, not listening on podcast, yes, guys, it's still me. I know you might not recognize me because I'm wearing new glasses. For my podcast listeners, you might be like, oh, yeah, that's Sav's voice. But, you know, to the viewers, you might not even have noticed it was me because new glasses. I want to know what you guys think about them. I'm, I'm still kind of unsure. They seem very bold. I uh, switched them out from the signature Sav says glasses. I was trying to change it up ahead of fall. Let me know down below what you guys think. And uh, thank you guys for being patient and waiting for me as I was out and about in these American streets reporting to you live on the ground from Trump's fourth indictment, or I guess his arrest because he turned himself in. We're going to be, again, doing a recap of all of the news that we missed because you guys know I like doing that with you just so that we can all have a historical um, kind of context for where we're at. And, uh, you know, for those of us who might not be paying attention to the news, here's a brush up on what happened. And also, I like having these so I can uh, remember at this period in time, August 30th, 2023, where were we at politically, socially, culturally, economically? Now, before we get into the show, please remember that this show is supported by you guys. And thank you to each and every single one of you who like, share, subscribe, who follow me on Subscribestar. The link is down below for that one if you would like to support the show monetarily. We have merch dropping here in a couple of months. And every single person who has donated on Subscribestar, also here in Super Chats on YouTube or even on rumble all of those fundings are going towards creating designs and merch so thank you big shout out to everybody there Another free way to support the show is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us grow in the charts, helps other people find the show, and I love reading them. Let me read two here before we jump into the show. One is from Jafava, who says he's been watching before Action 7 was around, or during Action 7. I need to put my old mic flag up. A lot of you who might be new here might not know that when I worked for InfoWars, I had uh, my own little brand when I worked for Alex called Action 7. So Jafava, he's an OG. He knows about the Action 7 days. He says, it takes courage to report on the scene where she goes and she's got an infinite supply. Reports like no other. Keep it up and stay safe out there. Five stars. Thank you, Jafava. Thank you for taking time out of your day to leave the review. Dr. David B. also says, Sav is amazing. Sav will tell you exactly like it is. She is not afraid to get censored or banned. She talks about topics others are scared of and calls out politicians all the time on their crap. Shout out Pete Buttigieg. Incredible independent journalist. Her ground reporting 
live on the streets are just as good as her podcast shows the true decline of our society. Thank you guys so much for leaving the reviews. Uh, I feel weird reading them on the show because I feel like I'm hyping myself up, but you guys are too sweet to me. You really are. So thank you for always being here. Also to anybody new, please remember you can go to savsaysofficial.com to keep up with all of my latest work. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's go ahead and jump straight into the show and where we are at in uh, the United States of America currently. Let's start off with the American education system and a quick update, a quick brush up on uh, how American children are doing, how our universities and our colleges are doing. Okay, starting off with the post-millennial, judge rules Wyoming sorority must allow 260-pound 6-2 male into women's only sorority rejects the sister's lawsuit. Now, this is a story. I don't know if I brought this up in the podcast previously, but it is a story that I have been following because basically this trans female, aka a creepy male who has gotten visible erections in front of these women said, I'm a woman and I want to be in your sorority. And these sisters were like, yeah, nah, bro, that ain't it. We really prefer to have our women's only space. And a judge just rejected that lawsuit. So I just want to read a little bit um, into this. Seven college students, sorority sisters at the University of Wyoming, brought suit against the National Kappa Kappa Gamma leadership over their policy of allowing a man into the sisterhood. And the case has now been rejected by the U.S. District Court for Wyoming and the sisters are going to be forced to allow the male entry into the women's sorority. So the male in question, Artemis Langford, reportedly watched the college girls undress, sometimes sporting an erection while doing so. The sorority sisters didn't like it, but the Kappa Kappa Gamma policy is that men who claim to be women are women enough to be part of the sisterhood. And then again, that case was dismissed by Judge Alan Johnson, the ruling from Johnson was that it was the right of the group to redefine the word, word woman to include men. So uh, there you guys go. Just checking in on the uh, college education system there. There is absolutely no protection for women. Um, Here's some photos as well of what this man looks like. Very clearly a man not passing as a woman at all. Again, these sisters have come forward and said that he would stare at them creepily, that they felt uncomfortable having to get undressed in front of him, that they felt like he waited to watch them get undressed. They have talked about seeing visible erections from this man because guess what a female penis isn't a real thing so you know really heartbreaking that these women are having to deal with this now tim pool came forward and his take is always like well i'll care when these women decide to care and again it's not in women's nature to be combative i'm gonna be honest and the one side of me is like women really need to get in this fight they need to be vocal they need to be active because it is women's spaces that are being the most impacted if you look at the transgender issue it's not transgender men, aka biological women, that are going into men's locker rooms and making men feel uncomfortable. It's not uh, biological women that are going into men's sports and dominating men's sports. No, we know that there is a biological advantage that men have over women in regards to privacy and safety that needs to be accounted for that's being completely ignored. And now we have gotten so far in left-wing progressive ideology that now 2023 
women's rights is giving women's voices over to men and telling women to shut up if they feel unsafe or they feel that men are being creepy or impeding upon their right to privacy. Now it's like, okay, uh, we've gone full circle. We're now retelling women to shut up that they're invalid and that men are going to speak for them because said men are now women. So just a little update on the college system there, but none of us are surprised. Now the, uh, Education system, let's see, K through 12 here. Now, this was a 12-year-old. His name is Jaden. He was kicked out of class yesterday in Colorado Springs because he had a Gadsden flag patch on his backpack, which the school stated had origins in slavery. So before we watch this video, because I want you guys to see this interaction between the parent and then the school administration here trying to say, oh, your kid can't have this flag, uh, this patch. Let's understand the state of the American education system, which, again, if you guys are not new here, you're not unfamiliar with, right? These teachers that are coming in that are trying to impose this false ideology on children. And I think that this is a really good cut and dry example of that, right? Uh, the rewritten history of what these flags mean, the origins of these flags, the origins of the United States of America are being rewritten and retaught to the next generation of Americans. So they think that everything is racist. They think that America was built on the backs of slaves, that the foundations of capitalism, the foundations of America that made this country great and did create us and elevate us to a superpower are all bad and need to be completely destroyed. So uh, here's an example of, again, that re-education system in action with these teachers coming in and trying to say that the Gadsden flag originates with slavery. Watch this clip. Oh, here you go. Thank you. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag? So they're, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason you do not want the flag displayed mm -hmm. is due to its origins with the slavery and slave trade. That is what was, um, that's the reasoning behind them. No, yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that wasn't, that's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of like the, um, the Confederate, our Confederate flag. <laughs> okay, I, so, I am just here to enforce. No, I am here to enforce the policy that was provided by the district. Okay, so a couple points that I want to highlight here in this video. Number one, the Gadsden flag and its origins. Why do we have a school board, any part of the administration, any teacher, anybody at all in the American? public education system, the government education system, re-education system, if you will, that doesn't understand the origins of the symbols of our own country. Now, one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts to follow is the redheaded libertarian because she has a really great extensive history on the Constitution, and she'll kind of give these little nuggets on history of the Constitution of America. And she puts it so cut and dry here and says, ironically, the Gadsden flag was a revolutionary warning to the British that the colonists would defend themselves from any royal attempt to coerce them or abuse of their liberties. This is the absolute state of public school. So there you guys go. You have a government school in the United States of America that doesn't even understand the symbolic relevance of American flags and symbols. 
that's where we're currently at right now. Now, the second thing I wanted to point out in this video as well is uh, that end portion there where this administrator says, I'm only here to enforce the rules. Now, this is something that I have consistently seen, and we are going to talk about COVID towards the end of this show because we are seeing the alleged resurgence of it. I don't even want to discuss the issue, to be quite honest with you, because it's boring, old, tired, played out. It's a psyop, right? But listen to the rhetoric from this school director, from this uh, administrator. I'm not sure of this woman's exact title. But the person enforcing the law, right? I'm only here to enforce that he can't have this patch. Don't take up the issue with me. No, anybody that is enforcing anything that impedes on your rights, your liberties, your First Amendment, your freedoms in any way, shape, or form, do not ever accept the excuse that, well, I'm just here to do my job. You know, a lot of people like to make the parallels of, yeah, the Nazis were just doing their job too. And I don't feel like that's an unfair parallel or, uh, you know, comparison to make, because that's exactly what's happening here. Oh, well, yeah, I might be, you know, impeding on your constitutional and God given rights, but I, I was just told to do it by my higher ups. No, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. And again, I want you guys to retain this energy and this mindset, because I promise you the COVID, I don't think lockdowns will come back. I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping not. But I think as fall comes around and flu season, surprise, surprise, which has been happening since the, you know, history of human existence. Um, now that flu season is coming, we are going to see that resurgence of COVID that's going to scare a lot of people. And we are going to see those people come back in and say, you need to wear a mask and have that same energy of no, you're not going to force your fake false opinion on me. You're not going to push anything that impedes on my own bodily autonomy here. We're not doing it. So uh, that's the second point I wanted to make with that. Now, an update to this story. Um, the school has reinstated the 12-year-old student who was kicked out of class, and they came out with a statement, and they were like, hey, actually, this was wrong. This should not have happened. Uh, DC Drano put up the actual statement from the school that said, yesterday, the student returned with the patch still visible on his backpack following the district's direction. Vanguard administrators pulled the student aside so they could speak with his parents upon learning of the event the uh, school board of directors called an emergency meeting. And uh, again, they go on to talk about how they have supported the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the ordered liberty that all Americans have enjoyed for almost 250 years. And they understand the historical significance of the flag. So, uh, you know, they basically say he may attend school with the Gadsden flag patch visible on his backpack. Ser sincerely, the board of directors. Now, a lot of people on the right wing were retweeting this and saying, yeah, this is a huge win. Now, I don't want to be like one of those black pill people like, no, it's really not. This is a huge win. And this is a good positive uh, sign that the First Amendment can still be fought for and is alive and well in the United States. But the real W here would be finding out the initial teacher who was trying to push back and say that the Gadsden flag was uh, tied to white supremacy or racist undertones and getting that person fired. Who was it at the school that had such a false viewpoint on American history that they were offended by an American symbol? Find out who that teacher is, get them fired. That's the true W because then you are removing the cancer from that school that is indoctrinating and targeting this little kid. This is a 12-year-old kid. He shouldn't be having to uh, go up to bat with adults who are trying to push their false ideology on him. 
So good on this 12-year-old for standing up. And uh, some of the backlash she experienced, Connor Boyack was the, I believe, one of the people helping him out that made this public. He was the initial person who brought this story to light. And um, as of yesterday, he said, Jaden ate lunch alone today, played chess by himself. But I told his mom that he's got millions of friends across the country now who are inspired by him. Leave a comment to Jaden below and I'll share it with him. Has been viewed half a million times. People are leaving all of these comments of support. But what I want to highlight here is that if this 12-year-old can stand up for his rights, for what he believes in, and still has to face the backlash because school isn't easy. I was homeschooled. So I didn't really experience the social settings of, you know, feeling ostracized by an entire group of people or by society until later on in life when I was older. So imagine being a 12 year old and being ostracized at your school or, you you know, as well, that teachers are now going to have a target on this kid's back because he had the fortitude to stand up for himself. He's now eating lunch alone, playing chess by himself but he's still standing strong. And if this 12-year-old kid has the ability to do that and has the courage to do that, what's your excuse? So again, keep that energy throughout 2024 as we continue on in this fight. Uh, big ups to Jaden. Congratulations to him and his parents for raising an outstanding young man who understands constitutional rights, liberty, and the God-given, again, I, I love saying that God-given, right? Because uh, in the modern day, we have really been manipulated to think that the government gives us our rights, and that's incorrect. Our rights are God-given, and they cannot be taken away. So good on Jaden. And if you ever feel discouraged, remember that this 12-year-old boy is now eating lunch by himself. He's, he's having to sit alone. He is now going to have a target on his back from his teachers. And unfortunately, that doesn't end after you leave the government education system that carries on in various parts of life. But that's, that's what happens when you stand up for what's right. That's what happens when you take the path less followed. And one of the things that I've noticed too, with the left wing, and I said this before, is how easily they come out and talk about their politics. They talk about I, I met this girl, and it was so crazy to me. Uh, because when I was doing my reporting in Georgia, met this girl and she had four COVID tattoos. So she had a big tattoo on her forearm that said, put on a mask, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, which she got during you know the 2020 to 2022 era of time. She had a vaccine syringe on her arm. And then she said she had, I think one or two other tattoos. Now to each their own, whatever, she said that she's calmed down on COVID, but she was still wearing a face mask. It's 2023. It wasn't going to be mean to this girl, but it was really interesting to listen to her talk. And um, again, you can kind of tell as well by her viewpoint on COVID, her other stances on government and economy or, you know, issues, because that was brought up. Like you can kind of make your own uh, assessment as to what her viewpoint on was what her viewpoint on that was, and you'd be correct. And listening to her spout out, spout off like, oh yeah, the rich are responsible for the housing crisis in New York. It's them because they want to profit off the backs of the people while the people stay poor. Uh, oh yeah, COVID's so scary. We may need to mask up again. I never, even knowing that my political ideology is based in common sense and logic, and I can back all of it up if genuinely pressed, 
I would never just so openly talk about my political ideology like that because I know it's going to be met with so much disdain because it's not the quote unquote right view. So it's so interesting to me to hear liberals talk because they will just openly espouse to anybody who will listen, or maybe it's just me because I'm a brown woman and people feel like I should think a specific way politically. But I just noticed that left wingers just spout out their ideology because they think it's the right one. And they think it's the right one because it's the same narrative that is backed by the entire government, the entire media, the entire propaganda machine that is consistently targeting us mentally, physically, and spiritually every single day and trying to keep us down and keep us from our, our full potential. So interesting note there. And again, like I said, that entire mini rant had to do with this 12 year old boy and how now for the rest of his life, that is going to be the fight, how that is the fight we all have to live with every single day. And I know it can get exhausting, but guess what? The energy has shifted, I feel, and I hope you guys feel the same way. Um, after the Donald Trump mugshot came out, a lot of people were expecting Trump supporters and Donald Trump himself to feel humiliated, intimidated, upset with the judicial system, with the state of the American government. But to be quite honest, I feel like, you know, it was the Democrats poking the bear. The bear finally woke up and now we're swiping back. Now, just to give you guys a quick recap of last week, we had Tucker Carlson who, and I, I want to be this level of petty one day, and by petty, I mean successful. Uh, Fox News was having their GOP debate. This was last Wednesday. And Tucker Carlson was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and put out my interview with President Donald Trump on X, formerly Twitter, five minutes before that debate is set to begin. And again, we all know the story between Tucker Carlson and Fox News. Fox fire Tucker. Tucker B is extremely successful independently, and Trump wasn't going to be going to that GOP debate. And so Tucker and Trump teamed up. They put up their own interview. And then you had the GOP debate going on. Um, simultaneously a lot of people you know tuned into that trump interview wanted to hear what he had to say because he wasn't going to be at those debates now quick recap of the debates just for those of you who might have been like eh, i didn't watch it what happened Ron DeSantis absolutely killed his entire campaign. Now you had Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, uh Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, uh, Asa Hutchins up there. And the only people who were really notable were Vivek. He had a lot of strong energy. Uh, Mike Pence was boring. And Ron DeSantis absolutely nuked his entire political career on this debate stage with this one reaction. Now, for those of you who might say Trump isn't the right candidate, I'm all in for Trump 2024. And it's because he's been indicted four times. It's because of the energy surrounding Donald Trump right now. And we'll get into that in a moment. But uh, Fox News asked candidates if they would support Donald Trump if he was convicted and still nominated as the GOP candidate for 2024. And I, I just want you guys to watch Ron DeSantis's response, because this is not what a leader should do. This is not how a leader acts or reacts or thinks. So to be quite honest, I, I didn't really think DeSantis had the energy, had the je ne sais quoi, if you will, the old razzle dazzle to really compete in the presidential field. But this moment in the GOP debate really solidified it for me. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would.
Okay, guys, sorry about that. We had a little glitch there, but uh, there you guys go. Everybody's hand shot up. Vivek's hand shot up first, and Ron DeSantis had to look around and get guidance on what to do before raising his hand, and he haphazardly did it. He kind of, like, raised it. Like, oh, I, I guess. Yeah, great. And again, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The indictment process, what Donald Trump is being put through, isn't about Donald Trump. And if there's Santa supporters who might be like, Sav, you're wrong on this one. I hate you. You're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. I really don't care because you don't understand the implications of Donald Trump being indicted four times and the power that we, the American people, will have by getting him back into office and reelecting him. Now, I know the road to that happening is going to be long and it's going to be a fight. But again, the energy has definitely shifted. Now, last week, we saw the nine mugshots of uh, various former campaign or not campaign staffers but just like white house staffers that worked with trump various lawyers we had Rudy giuliani sydney powell jenna ellis they all had their mugshots released by fulton county so there was a lot of momentum leading up to trump coming in on thursday people were like oh that mugshot is coming out boy and we are ready and that's exactly what happened the mugshot dropped i was outside of the fulton county jail and donald trump was in and out uh you know the press was out there from like 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. Donald Trump was in and out of the jail in 23 minutes flat. So he went in, he got booked. His beautiful mugshot was taken. It was released within an hour or two and it set the entire world ablaze. But not only the mugshot, uh, but he also returned to Twitter, okay? Donald Trump has not posted on Twitter since he was banned on January 8th, two days after January 6th in 2021, uh, Twitter had completely deleted his platform. That was another big issue. Let's not forget that there was a period of time in which Twitter uh, silenced, censored, and deleted all of the evidence of Donald Trump calling for peace on January 6th by deleting his entire Twitter account. And uh, he took that iconic mugshot as his first post back, and he captioned it, election interference, never surrender, donaldjtrump.com. So we got that mugshot. And like I said, the energy that night was palpable. The energy surrounding Donald Trump right now is palpable. He is the candidate for 2024. Again, if you think that I'm wrong on this, leave me a comment down below. Tell me why I'm wrong on this. But DeSantis does not have the energy. He was apparently doing a Photoshop in the Field of Dreams. The It was either the day of, I believe it was the day of, Trump getting his mugshot taken. And guess what? Nobody paid attention to Ron DeSantis. He is an incredible governor of Florida. I have never said anything counter to that, but I really do think he killed his entire uh, political career by trying to run against Donald Trump. Donald Trump's all about loyalty and Ron DeSantis at least could have taken the Vivek route and been like, hey, we need to support Donald Trump because this isn't about Trump. This is about a corrupt judicial system and the fact that we have a sitting president that has weaponized the Department of Justice and the FBI uh, and all of these other various three-letter agencies against the American citizens and against a former president and we always see the left wing saying we need to fight for democracy. I know we're not a democracy. We're a republic. I'm aware. People get so mad when I say the whole fight for democracy thing. I'm, I'm fully aware of how our government runs. But the point being made there is that if there really was ever a threat to democracy or the people's voices not being heard, it would be from the left wing trying to silence their political opponent, trying to stop him from being able to run. Now, after his mugshot came out, he raised $7.1 million. 
Okay. This man raised 7 million. I think this number is even higher actually, as of late, it might be up to 10. Um, if not, he at least raised 7 million. He raised uh, 4 million over 4 million in that 24 hour period after his mugshot came out. So the energy surrounding Trump is definitely there. It's palpable. It's extreme people are fired up and this mugshot completely backfired because the left wing wanted Donald Trump to be humiliated but all it did was enrage the base because let's not forget that this isn't just about Donald Trump being persecuted by the same corrupt system that has political prisoners from January 6th still locked up this is the same judicial system that has unfairly targeted parents who have gone to schools and said hey I don't like what my child is being taught. I want to see the curriculum. Oh, the FBI now labels you a domestic terrorist. This is the same judicial system in which there is a two-tiered system of justice, the same justice system in which if you have the wrong political ideology, the full force of the law is going to be held against you, destroy your life because the process is the punishment in many of these cases. Uh, a lot of times, if you hate somebody, you want to destroy their life, you just hit them with a the lawsuit because the legal fees that come along with that are enough to destroy anybody. And as you guys can see, with Donald Trump, man is going to be spending millions on this. And all of these trials are going to run in tandem with the 2024 election cycle. But like I said, do not be dismayed. If anything, utilize this and become re-energized for how exciting Donald Trump getting back in office will be and him bringing forth revenge on our corrupt government is going to be. People need to be arrested. And like I said, it's going to be a long path. It's not going to be a cut and dry thing where it's like, okay, cool. We get Donald Trump back into office. We really are going to have to, you know, all lies on the election cycle, all lies on the election system, hold our corrupt officials accountable, continue to educate our fellow Americans about what's going on. And the economy being absolutely destroyed and imploded under Joe Biden is waking up a lot of Americans. I've said this before, that the average person isn't going to pay attention politically until something affects them directly. Well, the economy right now is affecting Americans directly. And the cultural shift around Donald Trump as well is very stark. We'll get into that in a moment because I do want to talk about as well the political implications of the mugshot. And then we're going to talk about the cultural shift here. Now, uh, the New Hampshire GOP was talking about alleged plans to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot ahead of the 2024 presidential election. Charlie Kirk had initially brought this to light. And, uh, you know, there are various people that are just like, oh, we just won't put Trump's name on the ballot because he incited an insurrection and that's against the constitution so understand as well what these indictments mean it means trying to keep you from being able to vote for president trump this is from the post-millennial new hampshire gop actually walked back the alleged plans to keep trump off the ballot after backlash new hampshire secretary of state david scanlon said on monday that the state would not be seeking to remove trump's name from the primary ballot scanlon told nbc news he is not seeking to remove any names from the presidential primary ballot and i have not said that i'm seeking to remove any names from the presidential primary ballot after hundreds of calls from trump supporters flooded his office on monday again that's the importance as well of people getting active and actually calling representatives in office because then they're forced to respond when you're bombarding their phones day and night. Now, he said Scanlon does expect there to be challenges to Trump's qualification to run in New Hampshire under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which says a person cannot hold a public office if they engaged 
in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. Now, key word there being insurrection. We went over the charges that they're trying to bring forth against Donald Trump. That's going to be indictment number three in regards to January 6th, right? There were never any charges uh, directly tied to insurrection. And that was an important key because charges or you know, being found guilty of insurrection would have stopped Donald Trump from running for president, but that is not the case. So the phone calls came after Charlie Kirk spoke out against the recent spate of articles prior from the Atlantic, New York Times, and other outlets saying that elections are bad for democracy and that Trump should be knocked off of the ballot. Remember what the media did back in 2020 ahead of the 2020 elections. They said, hey, it's weird, um, but we shouldn't uh, expect the election results on election night. If that doesn't happen, don't think it's uh, strange or suspicious at all. It's always been like that, even though it's never been like that. The media kind of primes and preps the public for what's to come. And uh, these various articles have been coming out talking about how elections are bad for democracy. For So Char Charlie Kirk called that out and was like, hey, this is an attempt to keep Donald Trump's name off of the primary ballot so he won't even be able to be a nominee for president come 2024. Not okay. Let's not do that. And um, because we have brought light to this, this situation is now being talked about. It's being discussed. It's on people's radar. And that in itself is important. So uh, there in itself is an example of, uh, again, real world change that we can make. I know that oftentimes it does seem hopeless. And it's like, you know, we're up against an entire corrupt judicial system and government that is politically persecuting not only American people, but Donald Trump at this point. You know, he famously said that uh, I'm in the way or they're trying they're trying to target you. I'm just in the way. And this is the perfect example of that. But uh, understand what is, they're trying to do right now with these new news articles, again, prepping and priming us to think like, oh, well, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have certain names on the ballot because we're too dumb to know for our own good who we should and shouldn't vote for. So that's one way they're trying to target Trump. Uh, the other one, D.C. Judge Chutkin this is the January 6th indictment, claims Trump's attorneys should have prepared defense and reviewed the evidence before he was charged by the DOJ. So again, due process is not being followed in any of these cases to be quite honest, or in this one specifically. And this one specifically, I won't, you know, do a broad brush here and be like, oh, this is corrupt and ridiculous, even though it is. So uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin, a lot of people have highlighted how she has kept January 6th political prisoners in jail for years, hasn't given them their due process um, because she's like, oh, well, there's just not time for us to hear the case. Keep them in jail. And then with Donald Trump, she's trying to expedite his trial and basically give his defense, I believe, four months to go over 1.8 or 1 million pages of discovery. So there's an idea of what is happening in these cases, just how unfair uh, this entire, entire process has been and how ridiculous it all is. We already knew that, but this is just, again, kind of a, a cut and dry understanding of where we are. Okay, wait, I lied. Uh, so Laura, who is President Trump's attorney here, had asked for the start date to be delayed until April of 2026. So the defense has time to go through the more than, and here we go, sorry, I was fake news. I said it was 1 million pages. The more than 12.8 million pages of discovery that have been given by the DOJ 
to the defense team for a federal prosecutor to suggest that we could go to trial in four months is not only absurd, it's a violation of the oath of justice, Loro said, according to the New York Times, adding, we cannot do this in the time frame the government has outlined. So there you guys go. 12 million plus pages of discovery that they're expecting Trump's defense to go through. And then the judge uh, basically chopped up t- uh, you know, her response to, well, you guys should have already been pre-investigating this before we even brought the indictment forth. It's your fault that you weren't pre-prepared, which again is not how our judicial system or the law works at all. But I guess it's unequally applied, right? If you're Donald Trump or if you were one of his supporters or if you were an American who was just like, hey, can you not impede on my rights and freedoms? I don't like that. You go to jail. You get unfairly prosecuted, persecuted. Take your pick on, you know, which word you want to use there because they're both the same in the modern day. But like I said, the mugshot, the uh, persecution of Donald Trump has really backfired and the left knows it. The Atlantic put up this piece shortly after Trump's mugshot came out. He wants you to look at him. Trump's mugshot was supposed to be an exercise in humility, but he turned it into a threat. So this, of course, has been rewritten. You can't find the original headline because the Atlantic noticed that the right wing was like, yep, there it is. There's the truth right there. Um, They're mad because Donald Trump has gained and garnered so much support off of this mugshot. So they rewrote the headline to be a little bit more vague, to be a little bit less uh, apparent as to how how much they're seething about this. And you know what's funny is while I was on the ground, I'm listening to, because again, you have uh, mainstream journalists from all over the world, right? And they're all doing their live hits and I'm kind of just walking around surveying the sites and these journalists, this one in particular, I I don't know which news network he was with, but he was with a, like a bigger one. And he's just standing there and he was like, Donald Trump wants a show and his supporters are here for it. And it's like, I'm sorry, sir. What? It What? Like Donald Trump didn't want to come to the Fulton County Jail. Donald Trump didn't want to have to turn himself in. Donald Trump didn't ask for a mugshot. Donald Trump didn't ask for this indictment. You guys are the ones that wanted to make it a public spectacle. You guys are the one that wanted to humiliate him via the mugshot. So this is actually your guys' show that you're putting on. And because the right wing has been re-energized by this, because we have been so unfairly treated for so many years in this country, we are now just starting to embrace the persecution which is what we should always be doing. You know, I've really been getting into my Bible and getting into understanding like when you have morals and values in a godless and worldly society, what your life is going to look like. And it's supposed to be hard. Remember that, you know, God told us that if the world hates you, it hated me first. We aren't supposed to have easy lives. Like anybody with basic morals, values, principles, anybody who wants to stand up for what's right is going to live a life of persecution, is going to live a life that is hard, that is difficult. And if you are not religious, okay, you can still take that basis and understanding and apply it to where we're at in the modern day. If you have basic common sense, if you have the basic want to just, uh, you know, be free to live your life free from a government, from daddy government, that's trying to tell you what to do all day, every day, you're going to be in the wrong because you are, are bad for thinking freely for not wanting to listen to the authority that is trying to lord over you. And it's just so funny to watch the media seethe and get so angry at this mugshot. Another one from The Atlantic. Trump's mugshot gives his haters nothing. Just like that, he was restored to his accustomed place in the Republican dog pile. And I just want to give a big, 
huge shout out to Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, okay? Because she, more than anybody, has capitulated Donald Trump to greatness, all right? He is solidified in American history as the first president to have a mugshot. No other president has a mugshot. And this has shifted the culture significantly. And I'm going to talk about this now. So just like the Atlantic says, Trump's mugshot gives his haters nothing. It absolutely doesn't. Or if anything, it really did bridge a gap. Because how funny is it going to be when you have two people, right, wearing a Trump mugshot shirt? It's going to be like that Spider-Man meme where they're both pointing at each other. And it's like, do you hate Trump or do you love him? I, I don't, do you hate Trump or do you love him? Because they're both wearing the Trump mugshot shirt, right? Because now you're going to have a huge faction of people wearing the Trump mugshot shirt, liberals who are like, yeah, we finally got him. This is awesome. And then you're going to have your right wingers that are like, yeah, you know what? They took Trump's mugshot and they tried to put the full force of the government against him. We still came out on top and we're still going to fight back against him. And more than anything, this picture represents every single American who has been unfairly prosecuted by this corrupt government. So it's kind of funny now because that that bridge is going or that gap is going to be bridged and um a lot of people in the black community or in minority communities are now talking about donald trump again now rob smith who is a black political commentary commentator said your favorite influencer will never tell you that black people will never vote republican in any real numbers it's not happening folks trump did everything to get the black vote in 2020 and only got 11 percent the platinum plan was great it was real it was an honest effort and it still got him very little now rob smith basically states that the 2024 numbers will be the same because we have no idea how toxic the republican branding is in the black community and then he goes on to say you think that the black community is watching cable news no, they're watching The Shade Room, Hollywood Unlocked, The Breakfast Club, where they're getting Democrat propaganda day in and day out. Now, what all of these are are culture shows. I'm very in tune to, uh, again, culturally what people are looking at. Actually, funny enough, um, the reason I got into initially listening to radio, and I guess politics a little bit too, was The Breakfast Club. I've always been more conservative. But when I would get ready for work in the morning, this is when I was working at InfoWars, uh, I would wake up and The Breakfast Club would be playing live and I would listen to it on the iHeartRadio app because I would just talk about cultural news and I always like having background noise on and I enjoy radio shows. So The Breakfast Club is actually the first radio show that I listened to and it was kind of like my gateway into radio as a whole and I've always really enjoyed it. And Rob Smith is correct in this, right? That the Black community is paying attention to these types of shows which do particularly hate Donald Trump and the Democrat propaganda is very strong in these communities. However, what I do want to note is the cultural shift, because let's not forget that two, three years ago, even saying Donald Trump's name, if you were left wing, was a huge no-no. It was something that you did not do. Signaling any type of support for Donald Trump, even if you didn't vote for him, or even if you were like, well, I don't want him in office, I didn't like his mean tweets, but the economy was kind of good, though, was a huge no-no. And now we are starting to see videos like this come out, and I think that this cultural shift is significant because now even the energy surrounding talking about Donald Trump or having his name in your mouth, like to be quite honest with you, I would be comfortable in front of a group of liberals and being like, you know, uh, y'all might hate Donald Trump, but y'all have to admit that mugshot went kind of hard. And I bet you they could laugh about it and be like, yeah, you know what? Uh, that was kind of crazy. And 
what we need is that ability to like bridge that gap and talk culturally about Donald Trump again. And this mugshot did just that. So good job to Fannie Willis that backfired spectacularly. It uh, raised millions for Donald Trump, reignited his campaign, reignited the base and is getting people in the culture talking about Donald Trump now. I'm not joking. I've seen so many TikToks on Instagram. This was so crazy. Okay. I was like, what the hell is this? I was watching a TikTok of two guys in prison. Like they looked like they were literally in prison. I was like, is this a green screen? Is this fake? But it looked like they were in prison on a phone. And the caption said, nah, Donald Trump, the first black president for real. I don't care if y'all say it's Obama. Donald Trump got put in jail. He got that mugshot. He's the first black president. And it had like 200,000 likes on Instagram. And it's because, again, culturally, people to think that type of stuff is funny. Culturally, it's reigniting the conversation around Donald Trump. And those of you who might have a little bit higher of an IQ and be like, okay, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard don't understand the significance of being able again in the culture to talk about Donald Trump again without getting your head bitten off. I think it's very important. And uh, this mugshot, like I said, backfired. And we're also seeing videos like this one. Here's two videos that came out shortly after the mugshot came out. And again, these are people who are like, yeah, I, I don't care if this hurts your feelings. This is what I think about Donald Trump. Just watch this. Donald Trump mugshot, bitch. Oh my God angry little orange i ain't even like that with the politics and shit but boy this this shit gangster can't lie to you look at him he hot then a mother they let him keep the limited tan and the little lip lines on top of the motherfucking lips show you how pissed in this photo i know he was thinking ladies and gentlemen and children and i don't give a damn who this offends but if that nigga Trump get convicted of this crime and he can still run for president, I'm voting for his ass. I'm voting for that nigga. I'm voting for him. If that nigga gets convicted and he can still run for president just to see what the fuck he do, because that nigga funny now, Trump is funny as hell, I'm voting for him. I'm telling you right now, okay? So just miss me with it. So there you guys go. And I see some people in the comments being like, did you just call black people low IQ, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm talking about the culture. I'm talking about the various subsets of people who pay attention to politics, who uh, consume it every single day. And then your average everyday Americans, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, that are more informed via cultural shows and what they're paying attention to. And again, Trump's mugshot has, like I said, bridged that gap. And we can now discuss his mugshot and Donald Trump again in a culturally funny way. People are cracking jokes about this. They're, they're bringing Donald Trump into everyday conversation when previously he was like a completely like topic you did not touch at all. Also, here's Shamika Michelle, who is a black Trump supporter, talking about, and again, re-energizing the base. Here's Shamika Michelle and Donald Trump. Some say he's racist and tweets like a kid. While overlooking all the good shit that he did. Okay. I ain't ashamed of my president a little bit. I'd rather have an alpha male than... So there you guys go. She the, At the end of that, she was like, I'd rather have an alpha male than a beep. She says the B word. I'm not going to repeat it because, you know, I'm trying to be a child of God and not curse. Also, too, um, after Donald Trump was indicted, he was driving through various suburbs in uh, Atlanta. And this was the response as well on the ground from these neighborhoods. Y'all see it, man. Which one are you in, though?
right, so there you guys go. You have people cheering in this primarily black neighborhood and they're like, free Trump. And like I said, I mean, a lot of people have rallied around Donald Trump because honestly, this arrest makes him seem more relatable. No, not because minority communities are getting you know arrested at higher rates or whatever. But to be quite honest, it's like, what president do you know that's been to jail? That's, you know, has a mugshot. There's a lot of Americans that have mugshots. There's a lot of Americans who will see this and be like, wow, that that is relatable. It makes Donald Trump see, see more human. And makes Donald Trump seem more like one of us, to be quite honest with you. So I think that shift is going to be very significant. And uh, the energy around Trump himself as well, like he he just seems really re-energized. And uh, like I said, I have gone out into these communities and I'll talk to a lot of minorities and they'll be like, you know what? I voted for Biden before. Like I was speaking to this um, woman in New York. She was like, I voted for Joe Biden in 2020. And I've lived through the Biden presidency and I understand the consequences of that decision and I'm voting for Trump in 2024. So we'll see what happens come 2024. But I also think that the culture has shifted around him and that's significant. Okay, now I want to give you guys a quick update on Maui because I don't think that this is something that we should completely forget about. And now we brushed over it in the last show. It's been about two weeks since that happened two weeks since the fire had happened when I did that show. So it's been about a month, three weeks to a month since the actual Maui fires. Now, people are still being very tight-lipped about the official official death toll, okay? And also, uh, Maui officials tried to enforce a media blackout to block footage from the devastating wildfires. Now, this article came out last week, and... This had to do directly with a leaked letter from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security revealing that FEMA was asked by officials on the Hawaiian island of Maui to pause on posting on social media and elsewhere new imagery of the damage, the disaster, and the debris. The letter revealed in a screenshot by Anthony Cabasis, my good friend, great independent reporter, was sent August 19th, more than 10 days after the wildfires ripped through the town of Lahaina, officially killing more than 100, but leaving nearly 1,000 missing and unaccounted for. The disaster footage from Lahaina shows a devastated community that once was home to 13,000. The area is flattened by fires, homes reduced to ash, and bodies many likely charred beyond recognition in the debris. So they are asking for a full stop in disaster imagery going forward. The letter from Justin Angel Knighton of FEMA continues. At this time, we have not been asked to take any photos or videos down. But our team on the ground is coordinating with the county for further guidance to ensure we remain fully aligned. Cultural sensitivity of the, of the utmost importance in all our response and recovery activities to this disaster. So there you guys go. There's FEMA trying to block out the media and block footage so America can't see the true devastation of Lahaina. And I want to play this video for you guys as well of miles and miles of black fencing that were, were, was put up. This is an independent journalist who's in Lahaina and they have put black fencing around the entire disaster zone so nobody can report on what's going on. There seems to be a huge emphasis on ensuring that the media and anyone else can't see what's going on here in Lahaina, West Maui. There are miles and miles of this black fence going up that was not here before that is obscuring ground zero and making sure no one can see what's going on 
inside of there from the road. No one can get in there. No one can take any pictures. And then I've also seen these weird foreign police cars showing up, these special police. What I, I'm not sure what to call them. This is a Nissan, but there's quite a large presence of these standing guard around the perimeter. We've also lost our ability to fly drones really anywhere near this area. Now, this 22nd clip here that I, I tried to get out of my car and show what was going on, I was almost immediately, after these 20 seconds, National Guard came, chased me off, yelled at me, told me to get back in my car and keep moving. So you cannot pull over, you can't even stop your car anywhere near any of this anymore. So there you guys go, and then the B-roll continues, and it is just extensive fencing on the western side of that main highway national guard is there you can't even get out of your car and film what is going on fema has this entire place on lockdown there is a media blackout and has only continued to get worse as well because many people were asking and this was last week hey where are all of the children in Lahaina that were supposed to be at school that day. It seems like they're missing what ended up happening to them. And uh, this came out on August 19th, 10 days after the wildfire of Maui, the mayor was asked, you know, how many kids are missing? What's going on? And the mayor basically was like, okay, we're going to shut down the press conference. I think we can end this here. So being very tight lipped about the official death count, um, you know, People, I'm sure, have gone to government officials and have said, hey, my family member's missing, so they should at least have an account of how many people are missing, but we're not being given any official numbers, which we're, letting, or we're leading people to speculate that upwards of 2,000 children were missing, and that's because, per Reuters, um, 400 students from the Burn area have enrolled in other public schools, while about 200 signed up for distance learning. But according to the state, the four schools in Lahaina served more than 3,000 students. So many people asking, okay, where are all of these other kids? Where, where are the missing children? What's going on over there? Why can't the media have their, an their, answers qu their questions answered? Why is it that we have black fencing going up around this area? Uh, conspiracy theories aside as to you know how you think these fires started or why they got so out of control because now we have seen the evidence that their alarm system was down, that they should have been alerted, but they weren't that, uh, you, you know, various areas in the road were being blocked off. So people were diverted back towards the fires. And this entire situation was handled so poorly, like, uh, you know, conspiracy theories aside here, it's just like, why is it that this horrific fire, one of the biggest in a century happened, nobody's being held accountable, we're not being given any official death tolls, we are completely brushing over this. And there are children that are involved in this, what what's going on? Why is nobody paying attention to this? Why is nobody trying to find answers for this? Now, uh, an update to this. This came from the Post Millennial just yesterday. Maui Sacred Heart Catholic School principal reports all students were saved after the wildfires. Says it's an answered prayer. However, this was 220 students, and uh, like we saw in that Reuters article, which again just speculation here that the school served up to 3,000 kids. So some people stating, you know, where were these other kids? We don't know. There was a lot of stories coming out saying that um, children were sent home because of the lack of electricity. And then those children that were sent home burned alive in these fires because the alarm systems didn't go off. And, and again, this whole entire situation was just like, it was just horrible all in all. 
And then Joe Biden went to Maui after going on vacation and making sure to make a pit stop at the beach. Then he went to Maui and just had the most horrific response you could ever see. Uh, here's a video of him falling asleep during his meeting with survivors. And while he was there in Maui, his commentary was like, oh, wow, the ground's really hot. Oh, wow. Um, I almost lost my Corvette in a fire one time. I totally understand what you guys are going through. That's so horrible. It was just very out of touch with what was going on. And the people of Hawaii were like, Joe Biden, get out of here. We've lost our children. We've lost our lives. We've lost our property. We've lost our children. I, I was reading this horrific story from the New York Post about uh, a young boy who, whose remains were found. And he was holding his dog. He died in the fires. And then Joe Biden goes to Maui and doesn't have any type of care at all for the American people that were impacted by this. And let's not forget that this has been a common theme with the Biden administration. They don't care about the American people. Let's remember the Afghanistan withdrawal that resulted in the death of 13 American service members that could have been avoided, by the way. Uh, you had Gold Star families come forward and... Um, you know, this is a gold star father who's had enough of Joe Biden and his response. And again, the American sentiment towards Biden, towards his uncaring attitude toward the American people, the fact that he just he's so flippant and he tries to make these comparisons of like, oh, wow, your kid died. Well, like one time I almost lost my Corvette. <laughs> it was super bad. Watch this gold star father give his response to Joe Biden because his son died uh, in Afghanistan. We have seen what's going on in your family, and even worse, we've seen how you've been treating us as Gold Star families. And there couldn't be anything more disgusting and cowardly than the way you have treated us. You are a disgrace to this nation. You have no business having ultimate command over our military, and I regret not saying that to your face when I had the opportunity in Dover. I felt it more, like, more important to bite my tongue but I also had more important things on my mind at that time, like receiving my son's lifeless body stateside. While I stood there on the tarmac, watching you check your watch over and over again, all I wanted to do was shout out, it's two fucking 30, asshole. But out of respect to the other grieving families, I bit my tongue once again. Well, as you could probably tell by now, I'm done biting my tongue. You, sir, stole their lives, their futures, their dreams, and have ripped apart 13 families. You cannot even man up and admit that. So there you guys go. And again, Gold Star families are families who have lost a family member, um, you know, while they were actively serving our country. And... Um, a reminder that when those 13 service members were being brought back to the United States, Joe Biden was consistently looking down at his watch, which enraged a lot of the families. So from the mouth of Americans who have been directly impacted by Joe Biden's decisions, who have had to deal with Joe Biden um, as he's tried to, quote unquote, console Americans who are dealing with loss, whether that's their, again, children, their homes, their property doesn't care. It's, it's like, I don't even know what more I can say. Oh, wait, <laughs> I can't I can find one more thing to say. Joe Biden is announcing an additional $250 million in Ukraine aid. 
uh, because, you know, we have to continue funding that proxy war. So if you guys think we haven't sent enough overseas already, if you guys are like, hey, maybe we should be, you know, uh, investing into America and Americans and securing our border or trying to fix our economy and maybe not printing more money that's driving up inflation rates and sending it across seas to Ukraine. Like, let's not do that. Um, yeah, we're, we're continuing to do that. Now, the resurgence of COVID-19. We took a little bit of, of a break from the fear porn surrounding COVID because it died down a bit. And then we saw the resurgence of climate change and how we were having the hottest summer on record and it was record heat. It was super scary. We were all going to die. How every wildfire had to do with climate change, even when, you know, maybe after it was investigated, somebody set the fire, but we're still going to blame climate change. It, it's so funny to me because climate change and COVID, I feel like kind of go hand in hand. And this is some footage of this past Saturday morning. Now, this group called Declare Emergency out of Washington, D.C., their climate activists were blocking the street in Washington, D.C. for their third time in a week. And several drivers jumped out of their vehicles and they were so pissed. And I love these videos and I'm starting to see them more and more because people are getting pissed off. I wish I had the audio, but it wouldn't download with audio for some reason. But they're basically ripping off the signs that these climate protesters are holding up. They're yelling in their faces. They're like, I have to get to work. I have kids. I have to provide for like i want to go to work get out of here they're trying to drag them out of the street and people are absolutely fed up and it's absolutely hilarious too because it's like two black men an asian guy an older woman that are screaming at these young entitled climate activists who have the time and money to sit there in the middle of the street and block traffic and block everyday americans who are actually just trying to go to work and live their lives because you know these climate activists think that they're helping and I'm going to draw parallels here to the reaction towards these climate activists that's starting to become more and more popularized, which is just beating these climate activists up, ripping their banners, taking them out of the street and saying, you know what, we're not putting up with this nonsense anymore. I'm going to show you the parallels to that and the reaction toward that and the reaction toward COVID, because I think it's kind of like the same thing, right? It's like you can only push propaganda on people so much and stall their lives and impede upon their days so much before they finally get pissed off. And then they just straight up react violently. And this is an example of that. Now, one of my other favorite clips, because uh, there was not one instance, but two instances, okay, of climate uh, protesters blocking roads. This came out of Nevada, where they were having Burning Man anti-capitalist climate activists block traffic until a ranger rams straight through their barricade. Now, these were tribal rangers in Nevada, and apparently they kind of have different rules than, uh, you know, like regular state police would have. So these climate activists who are anti-capitalist are sitting in the road in Nevada. A lot of people were highlighting as well, like, hey, this is the middle of the desert. People are stalled there. Traffic stretched for miles in the middle of the summer heat. If you lose gas uh, and you have a family member, that could be a risk. Like you could be putting your family's life at safety, your kids' safety at risk. And so the, these these little protesters are just sitting there. And um, this this clip is so freaking amazing. Like I, I watched this clip like ten times. Here's how the tribal rangers handled the climate activists. Man, get off the highway. This is a state route. Everybody will be arrested if not. 30 seconds. Send your leader to my vehicle. Let's talk. Get off the fucking road. Hey, 
Drives through the barricade. Nobody's hurt. Why did actually this is being dramatic and they're screaming? Amazing. I love this clip. Get out now! Get out! On the ground! All of you on the ground now! Boom. Rangers come out swinging. Now, I was listening to Tim Poole, who apparently said that these Rangers heard that there was, uh, they either got a phone call and somebody had stated like, oh, if these protesters don't move, somebody's going to get shot. So allegedly these Rangers thought that there was a potential gun on Prevences, which is why they came out with their gun, just like rammed through this barricade, came in, started arresting people. Uh, but to be quite honest, I think that this is awesome. And I think it's hilarious. And this is how we should be handling people that are illegally blocking roads, ram through their barricades and arrest them. Because, again, these people are putting others' lives at risk. The ranger was like, I'm going to take you all out. Y'all better move. And this is a very common theme that I'm starting to see pop up, uh, not only here in the United States, but worldwide. Now, in Germany, in the UK, you see the Just Stop Oil protesters consistently shutting down the roads, and people are getting so tired of it. People are finally pushing back against it. Uh, here's one example of a guy with a beamer who, this guy, this climate activist is sitting in the roads, so this guy with the beamer, uh, this is how he decided to handle that situation. So, guy sitting in the road, so the guy backs up, and then... R.I.P. headphone listeners, but goes and just like goes full throttle on this car. And this guy's like, oh, it's so loud. And then he gets out of the way. Um, one of my other favorites was these climate activists in Germany. Now, these activists are sitting in the street and this woman, so tired of seeing this, just grabs the climate activist protesters hair and just drags her out of the street. And again, this is an example of what people are being driven to when nonsensical and ridiculous people come in and impede on their everyday lives, which is why, honestly, I think we are going to see the same reaction with COVID-19. People are getting tired of the climate protesters, so they're starting to take care of it themselves. When people finally got tired of COVID-19, they pushed back against the government and they were like, no, we're going to take care of ourselves. We are not going to allow you to impede on our rights and freedoms. We're not going to allow you to come in and fear monger, shut us down and obstruct our everyday lives. Now, the reason why I'm drawing these parallels is because we have seen the media consistently over the past month try to say that three new COVID variants are spreading across the country. And many people are wondering, are masks coming back now? I just want to highlight something that every single fall, we have this thing called flu season and it happens every single year. And COVID is now a part of our lives. Okay. It's here. The government released it out of Wuhan and uh, it's now a virus that we all have to live with. If natural immunity wasn't enough for you, if the 58,000 vaccines weren't enough for you, face masks coming back and me wearing them again are not going to be enough for you. And uh, that's probably better because you can shove that ma mask up your ass, to be quite honest, because I'm not putting one back on anyway. 
not going to get too angry about this, but a lot of people are getting really tired because not only are we seeing the media hype up this resurgence of COVID, but we're also, also seeing mask mandates being re-implemented. Morris Brown College in Atlanta was one of the first to do this. They said that they are going to be instating a mandatory mask mandate due to reports of positive cases of COVID-19. So they're subjecting their students to mask wearing, again, physical distancing. They are limiting large gatherings. They're making people isolate and quarantine, which again, it's like, yeah, if you were sick previously with the flu, you typically would just stay home and not go to class. You wouldn't shut down entire economies and shut down our entire country. They're going to be subjecting them to contact tracing to symptom monitoring because we all know how effective the COVID-19 tests were the first time. On top of that, let's take a peek at LA where Lionsgate Studios is bringing back their mask mandates in to the office. Now, I do not think that the government is going to be successful at coming in and reshutting things down, but we already are seeing school districts in Kentucky and in Texas canceling classes amid surges of illnesses, including COVID-19. And again, this article goes on to talk about how it's respiratory viruses, aka the flu, and COVID-19. Like I said, guys, COVID is a part of our lives now. The government released it if you got COVID, great. You have the antibodies. Your body knows how to fight it off. Now, if you didn't get COVID, you're going to get it at some time or another. If you're worried about COVID, you have the option to go get a vaccine. I wouldn't recommend it. And guess what? To the government that's trying to push vaccines on us and say, oh, we need to be up to date with our booster shots. No. You didn't get me the first time around. You didn't get me the second, third, fourth, fifth time around. I'm not falling for your scam. I'm not getting vaccinated. I have natural immunity. I got COVID-19 myself. And it's absolutely ridiculous that we're having to see this, that we're having to rehab this discussion. Now, the New York Times, this is from... February of this year said the mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? Apparently not, because we are still seeing the media again and uh, various institutions re-implement mask mandates, even though they don't work. Now, this opinion piece from the New York Times is talking about a study that was done, comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illnesses. And it concluded that the results were unambiguous. And this was an Oxford epidemiologist who were like, uh, yeah, basically we looked at people who worked in hospitals. There was also a JAMA uh, research paper about this. We looked at people who wore surgical masks versus N95s. And the people who worked in hospitals, they didn't have a lower risk of not getting respiratory viruses if they wore a mask or not. Because guess what? The face masks don't work. We've already had this conversation before and we're having it again, but we still have the Biden administration coming forward and telling us this. There'll be an updated vaccine September, mid-September, I believe. So uh, we know that as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains the safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes, and death, which is why we are we are going to be... Up, honestly, Corinne Jean-Pierre. I'm sorry. I told you guys I was trying to be a good Christian woman and not curse, but to be quite honest, I hate watching this woman get up in front of our entire country and lie to the people. Let's not forget, again, this is from January of this year, U.S. News. Bivalent COVID boosters offer no extra protection, studies suggest. And we have seen the various news stories time and time again of how booster shots yeah, they didn't really work that well. Oh, uh, you got your first COVID vaccine. Well, now you need a second one. Now you need a third one. Again, the updated COVID-19 vaccine boosters intended to defend people against the emerging Omicron variants don't appear to provide any better protection than the original shot does. Two new studies find. This is about the new mRNA boosters produced by Moderna and Pfizer. 
only attack the COVID-19 virus about as well as the company's first wave of vaccines. But you still have the press secretary and the Biden administration coming forward and saying, oh, yeah, as long as you're up to date on your your vaccines and boosters, you're going to be like totally good. No, you're not. Stop listening to this lie. I don't know how many times I have to repeat this. And at this point, if you're wanting to wear face masks again, like I'm at the point where I'm openly going to laugh at mask wearers and be like, are you sick? Then stay away from me because disgusting. Ew, why aren't you at home if you're sick? And people got mad because I posted this on Twitter like three weeks ago when I first saw all of this happening because I went to my grocery store and I saw employees starting to wear masks and I was like, are you freaking kidding me again? Like, are you serious? You know, the first time around I was like, you want to wear a mask? Fine, whatever. That's on you. I don't care. I'm a live and let live person. I understand individual freedoms and your ability to do what you want. But what the mask is an indicator of is that you support authoritarianism. What the mask is an indicator of in the modern day is that you have no in a, you have no ability to think for yourself, that you support tyranny and authoritarianism, that you are the type of person that supported calling the police on your neighbors because they weren't wearing a face mask or because they didn't adhere to lockdown. It means that you are the type of person that was championing lockdowns, that cheered on the economy being imploded, that was the, the direct result of children being impacted educationally, psychologically by the lockdowns. You are the exact problem with society. You were the one championing the alcohol abuse rates that skyrocketed, the drug abuse rates that skyrocketed, the suicide rates that skyrocketed. You are the problem with society. So if you're willingly wearing a mask in the modern day, because it was so funny, somebody commented, so you're just going to be mean to people who are just like living their lives and not bothering you? I'm like, yeah, I am. Because guess what? That's what y'all did to me and my fellow Americans for years. You got people fired from their jobs. You got people arrested. I remember I was in Dallas watching Shelly Luther being released from jail because she opened her beauty salon and wanted to help her uh, you know, employees be able to pay their bills because nobody had any source of income coming in. And she got arrested for it. Meanwhile, you had politicians like Nancy Pelosi and freaking Lori Lightfoot going and getting their hair done, going to restaurants. Gavin Newsom was that uh, freaking French laundry having the nicest steak dinners. What's well, t- telling us that we were the, the the problem with society? No, I'm not living through that. And I think this sentiment has been shared by many other people as well. Now, Mike Cernovich, he actually, he's a very prominent commentator. I followed him for quite a while. I don't agree with him on everything. And one of the things I didn't agree with him on was in 2020, he championed face masks. He wore face masks. He kind of bought into it. But guess what he's doing now? He's saying, I personally am going to do more. I will ask people if they are afraid of COVID. If a kid is masked, I'll say something. They're going to get the medicine they gave everyone else back. And he's saying this in response to another American who said, that's the difference this time. It simply won't stand even in blue states. In 2020, Many institutions followed along, some even reluctantly. In 2023, we'll see a few outlier groups impose restrictions. The backlash will be so severe that no one will follow suit. So we are seeing people who previously supported the masks, supported the mandates, now being like, no, I'm not doing this for a second time, which is great. Amazing. I'm glad we have that energy this time around. Do not let them lock us down again. Do not even let them put a mask on you or your kid. Don't do it because remember how this all started 15 days to slow the spread it's just a mask it's just 14 days in quarantine it's just a vaccine oh actually now we're contact tracing you destroying your entire life uh, taking away your ability to pay your bills and destroying your child's entire mental health uh found a video of a woman as well who i think gave a pretty good synopsis on the realities of COVID-19 and its resurgence this fall oh they got all of us fucked all the way on up is what's going on 
We don't give a fuck about no new COVID strain, United States government. Uh-huh, we don't give a fuck. Biden, you ass still got to get the fuck on out. You still got to pack your bags and get the fuck out. If I got to come to the White House and move you out myself, you still got to get the fuck on out. Point blank, period. We don't give a fuck about no new COVID strain. I was just thinking the other day, I hadn't heard Nathan about COVID. And then, boom, here come a new motherfucking COVID strain. We know that this shit is for the elections. So there you guys go. That's how the average American feels about COVID-19. And again, I apologize that there was more cursing uh, than normal in this episode, but this is the uncensored America that you don't typically hear from. This is the real thoughts of everyday Americans under the corrupt Biden administration. We see through the lies, we see through the propaganda, we see through all the science, and we don't want to live through it again. Now, I said I talk about the border. Uh, this show is going kind of long because I wasn't here last week. So let me just give you like a very quick three minute rundown. This is from Bill Malusian. Uh, new, per multiple sources, Border Patrol apprehended more than 7,000 migrants who crossed the border illegally yesterday alone, led by Tucson, Arizona sector with over 2,200. Those numbers do not include known gotaways, ports of entry, or paroles into the U.S. via CBP-1 app. A reminder, DHS took a victory lap in early June when daily illegal crossings averaged 3,400 in the weeks after Title 42 ended, attributing the drop to the Biden administration's comprehensive plan. So uh, just another example of the increasing attack on the United States by our own administration via our open borders. Like that's the way I view the open borders. It's an attack on America via the administration who refuses to enforce border laws. Because again, a country without a border, that's right, class, is no country at all. Saw this tweet as well from a New York City friend. They moved a bunch of migrants into my old neighborhood and I watched a Somalian attempt to mug a woman at knife point. Three taxi drivers and a CrossFit chick beat the crap out of him and choked him out until cops arrived. And then you can see the pictures there. So here's people on Twitter uh, highlighting what everyday life is like in places like New York City where um, over 90,000 migrants have made, uh, you know, their new home. Uh, by the way, people are coming to blows in New York because uh, New Yorkers are starting to get pissed off at all of the migrants up that way. Um, let me see if I can play this B-roll. And you have New Yorkers now coming to blows because you have Antifa idiots coming to neighborhoods and trying to say, Oh, America is for the immigrant. Okay, then take immigrants into your house. I guarantee you, you won't. Uh, Curtis, I believe his last name is Sliwa. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. But he's been leading protests all throughout New York to push back against this because people are absolutely pissed off. On Sunday, they had a protest outside of Gracie Mansion. That was what I just showed you. Um, yesterday, Monday, apologies. On Monday, they had a protest in Staten Island because they're trying to relocate thousands more migrants there. And the people are finally getting pissed off. They're pushing back. And like I said, I, you know, I don't want to promote violence ever. But to be quite honest with you, like that is where America is getting to. You see how climate activists are efficiently dealt with. They're shut down. They're arrested. They are removed. You see how COVID-19 was finally stopped. People pushed back. They got angry. They got loud. You see how we're going to take this country back in 2024 people are going to get re-energized surrounding Donald Trump we're going to get angry we're going to get loud and we're going to take our country back and that's all I've got for you on this episode of rapid fire I apologize that it was a long one we had a lot to get through 
And uh, apologies if, again, this was kind of, you know, old news that you had already heard of. Um, but I just wanted to give you a recap. Actually, let me hit one more border story because, again, this is just another example of the attack on Americans and the uplifting of criminals and the complete uh, ignorance and not ignorance, but the complete just ignoring of how America's supposed to run. Apparently, the DOJ is suing Elon Musk and SpaceX for focusing their hiring on U.S. citizens and permanent residents over illegal immigrants. So the Department of Justice is trying to sue Elon Musk because he doesn't want to hire illegals. Now, this guy Tom Mueller adds in, he's a liquid rocket engine development dude. He says, so if I let a non-U.S. citizen see our rocket hardware, I go to ITAR jail. I don't know what that is, but that's what he states. But if I don't hire a non-U.S. citizen, I get sued by the DOJ. Got it. And then Elon Musk's response, exactly. SpaceX was told repeatedly that hiring anyone who was not a permanent resident of the United States would violate international arms trafficking law, which would be a criminal offense. We couldn't even hire Canadian citizens, despite Canada being a part of NORAD. Yet this is another case of weaponization of the DOJ for political purposes purposes and elon stating that that political purpose just being like oh um i gave people freedom of speech on my platform and now the doj is coming after me anyways there's an example of where our country is currently at what the biden administration actually thinks of every single american citizen and again the attack on our economy the attack on the american people the attack on our border the attack on our sovereignty the attack on our constitution our basis our fundamentals our morals our values everything but like i said do not be dismayed if anything be energized and let this fuel you be informed about what's going on and start helping change that narrative like uh, one of my favorite things that has come out of the trump mugshot is that cultural shift in the commentary surrounding Donald Trump. And we will see what happens ahead of 2024 because we have all seen the Democrats. We know that they're going to go into propaganda overdrive that they themselves will be violent in the streets. We've seen BLM. We've seen Antifa. They're slowly already getting activated in places like New York because New Yorkers want their homes back. They want their state back. And they're pushing back against migrants illegally squatting in their state. And now you have the militant wing of the democratic arm coming in and trying to shut them down no you don't get shut down you do the shutting down you push back you have your voice heard you fight for this country you fight for your rights you fight for your pre your freedoms uh just like that young 12 year old out of colorado if you ever feel discouraged remember the courage this young man had and take heart all right guys that's all i have for you today thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of rapid fire and i'll see you guys next week